Thanks, band. Great job, guys. Well, as you're having a seat, if you will, uh, grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Ephesians. If you are new with us, or grab your scripture journals, we've got some journals in the back, and they are uh, these really great tool and resource that we want to give to you as the church that will help us and help you as we walk through the book of Ephesians together. And so if you don't have one of those, uh, we we just got a, a new order of them in. They're in the back round table right back there. Feel free to grab one of those. Essentially what it is is just the ESV translation that we use here at Providence North. And uh, on one side and on the other side, it's just blank pages so that you can interact with God's Word. As you are listening to sermons, as you are at home reading God's Word, uh, He can begin to teach and mold us into His image. And so I um, would encourage you uh, to take one of those. Those are free to you, our gift to you. Um, to have, and, and hopefully it will bless you in your walk with the Lord. Well, we are continuing Ephesians. This is week three. Uh, if you're new with us, our, our kind of standard mode of teaching through the scriptures is to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. I'm going to do a little stage clean up here, otherwise I'll run into this thing. Um, so we go through books of the Bible, and we are doing that in Ephesians currently. We believe it's just the best way for us as a church and as people uh, to let God's word inform our lives more holistically. And so it lets us see the entire book as a whole and what God is trying to teach his people through his word, through uh, studying whole books of the Bible. So that's kind of the standard mode of, of teaching that we do here. And it's been, uh, it's been fruitful for us thus far as a church. Um, Ephesians, just a catch up, chapter one. This, this, this part that we're in, in this introduction, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He finds himself in prison while he's writing this letter. So Paul is not in a good spot. Uh, he is under Roman guard, under Roman occupation, in prison. While he was planting churches, advancing the gospel, he is imprisoned for doing so because uh, it was a, a, an affront, it was an assault against Caesar to preach Christ as king. So the Apostle Paul was doing that, and he was taken captive, and he is writing back now that he is in captivity, writing to these churches that he had planted on his missionary journey. And so he finds himself under Roman occupation, and he he writes to this church that he helped plant in Ephesus to encourage them. And so at the very beginning, we talked about when we read the book of Ephesians, what, what Ephesians wants to do for us is it wants to give us this mountaintop view of who God is. It wants to give us this 10,000 foot view, if you will. It's like you've summited the mountain and now you're looking over the grand majesty of who God is. And so the Apostle Paul doesn't really get into the nitty gritties of life until the very latter chapters of the book. And so what he's wanting to do to encourage these believers who are struggling with a lot, who are going through hardships, who do have pain and suffering in their lives. He's wanting to take them to the top of the mountain and say, I know you're struggling, but look at the majesty of God. Look at the grace of God. Look at what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And when you look at God in light of all that he's done for us, we can take a deep breath and say, he really is with us. In light of even the struggles in my everyday, when I grasp the realities of who I am in Christ and what he's done, I can get through this. So this is what, this is what Paul's doing at the very beginning. And at the very beginning here, uh, we said Paul probably would have flunked out of grammar school, but he is, a, he is a master in theology. This section that we're in the original Greek is 
211 words, and there's not a punctuation in it. There's not a period. There's not an exclamation point. There's not a pause. There's not a break. Paul just takes all of these amazing, glorious realities and words of who God is, and he just showers them down onto this church to encourage them. And it's meant to kind of overwhelm us. Uh, One commentator said, I've said this the last couple weeks, it's like standing at the bottom of a grain silo filled with grain after the harvest, and you pull the plug on it, and all the grain just showers and rushes out over you and just envelops you. This is what the Apostle Paul is doing. He is enveloping us with these words of the glorious realities of that we find ourselves wrapped up in as sons and daughters of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's encouraging us. The first section he worships, and the section we get in today, if I cannot do that, that would be awesome, is prayer. I'm going to read the text, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. We're going to dig in. Paul says this. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is all in all. That is a mouthful. That is meant to overwhelm us. We're, we read that and we're like, wow, how, I mean, how can you possibly wrap your mind around all that was just said in that short period? Of, I mean, there's, remember, there's no punctuation. If I would have read that without any pauses or breaks, it would have been even more overwhelming. Just this exhale of words. And so last week, what we saw the Apostle Paul doing as he introed this book to this great church is he looked at all the reasons we have to praise God. And he's looked at all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so this week he goes from praise, he goes from worship, uh, from what God has done to with our salvation, how he saved us, how he's rescued us, how he's chosen us, how he's adopted us into the very family of God. And now he goes from praise, and here he goes to prayer. This is one of the Apostle Paul's great prayers. Praise and prayer go hand in hand together when you read the scriptures. And so today what we're going to learn are some important truths about prayer with an emphasis on praying for knowledge and understanding. This is what Paul is praying for this church. That they and that we would have a knowledge and an understanding and that the very Holy Spirit of God would come in and invade our lives and help us grasp the greatness of God and the supremacy of Christ and for us the rich benefits of the gospel. 
the realities in our lives of knowing and believing in the gospel? What does it produce for us here and now today? He's going to address those things. So this is a Paul's prayer for the church for the understanding of God's grace for his people. Now, if you have children in here, um, you, I, I, for me as a father, I love to hear my kids pray. <clears throat> I have small kids. I've got a 10-year-old all the way down to a 2-year-old. Ruthie is about to turn 2, which I cannot believe. It's gone by way too fast. And so uh, one of my favorite things is at the dinner table and at bedtime, we just kind of have a rhythm of prayer. And so we've just always done that. Uh, and so I just remember back through the years just hearing them pray for things, even, even though, even when they weren't, they didn't even know kind of what they were praying for, right? It was sometimes it's, uh, dear God, I pray that mom and dad might let us stay up late and watch a movie, right? That, that prayer may have not gone answered some, some nights, but they just pray it, right? They just, they just love, they, they, I love hearing them talk to the Lord. And sometimes they pray silly things, and sometimes they pray really profound things. My son Owen seems to always pray some pretty profound prayers. You're like, whoa, nice one there, buddy. And my little two-year-old Ruthie, she's even getting in the rhythm of prayer. So now she just kind of knows some, the, the routine a little bit. And when we all sit down at the dinner table, she goes, mm, pray? And she bows her head, and the kids then help guide her through of, of different things to say. And it's just the cutest thing in the world, right? God loves to hear his people pray. God loves when his children come and, and pour out our hearts to him. And this is a prayer that Paul gives to the church that would model for us that we would be able to pour our heart out, that in our prayers and in us coming to him, we would gain a greater understanding of who he is because in prayer, it helps bolster our relational equity and our relationship to God because it's a relationship. Spirituality is a relationship. Prayer is us talking to him. Is us communicating with him. And so knowing that, what should occupy our prayers? Right? How can you learn to pray? This is a really important question. The Bible, we know, if you've grown up in the church at all, or you've even been around the church, or you've even heard of Christianity, maybe you know that Christians kind of pray, right? We have see at the pole. We've got prayer at dinner. We've got, you know, we just, we have, we're, God's people are supposed to pray. But what does that look like? What does that mean for us? How do we do that? How do we do it for longer than a minute? How do we do it in the morning uh, before we've had our cup of coffee so that we don't just fall asleep and just lose track of what we were thinking about? How do we realistically actually pray? Well, the scriptures tell us there are many ways to pray, right? One of the ways that I want to commend to you, just on a, a real practical application here as we're reading the book of Ephesians and as you have these scripture journals, is I want to encourage you to pray the Bible, to pray God's word. That means this, read, pray, read, pray, read, pray, read, pray. Right? This isn't the only method of prayer, but it's one of my most favorite. Because left to my own, I kind of just end up praying my checklist of things. But as I open the scriptures and I read what God is trying to teach me through his word, I can then go and have this great depth of variety in my prayers, in my prayer life. 
He exposes to me to all these different nuances of his nature and his character and who he is and what he's trying to teach me and what he's trying to do through the church and through the world and through God's people and through marriage and through uh, raising children. And so I would encourage you not to just read the Bible like you'd read like a literature textbook when you were in high school and try to maybe glean, glean a few nuggets, but read it as the living, active word of God and then pray that God might do something with what you've just read. This is the way we do it with our staff as a church. When we gather together in our staff meetings, uh, we're actually reading through the book of Ephesians together as a church, and we'll read it, and then we'll talk about what God uh, was showing us through his word, and then collectively, in light of what we've just read, excuse me, we'll pray for each other, and then we'll pray for the church. And it's really just informed and guided and helped us navigate how to pray in a very just practical way. And so I want to commend that to you just as a practical note uh, as the people of God here at Providence North. Let's, let's be in the habit of praying God's word because that's how we pray God's will. Because we, I believe, that we understand and know God's will through God's word. That he reveals it to us. And so if we begin to pray what he teaches us and what he tells us, we will be praying in line with the very will of God. Right? So grab those scripture journals and use them as a daily tool to um, help you in your prayer life. Second, praying the Bible just allows a lot more variety in our prayers, right? It, like I said, it helps us address all kinds of different issues, all kinds of things uh, that maybe we struggle with. The Word of God is addressing all sorts of different areas in our life. And it helps just give us variety. It helps us give us words to maybe some of the things in our spirit that we're feeling that we can't articulate. But praise God that he gives us his word that he does articulate them for us. Um, growing up, we, I, you know, maybe you had one of these guys. Maybe you are one of these guys. And I was one of these guys too. But it was we in the church, in the youth group, I always had the lead, guide, and direct us guy. And that was the only prayer seemingly he ever prayed. It was like every week, Lord, I pray you'd lead, guide, and direct us. And I really hope God lead, guides, and directs us forever and ever and ever. Amen. But if we begin to pray God's word, we are introduced to all sorts of new concepts in the kingdom of God and will give us vocabulary to talk to him in his economy, in the things he cares about, right? And he will lead God and direct us as we do that. So Paul gives us these two wonderful prayers in the book of Ephesians. This is the first one we, hear, we see right here, and it's about enlightenment. It's about knowledge and wisdom and revelation. The second one we're going to run into in chapter 3 is all about empowerment. So here we're going to look at uh, God give us wisdom and revelation, and here in a few weeks or maybe months, depending on how long, it's Lord give me strength because I'm weak without you. So today, what I want us to do is I want us to just pray with the Apostle Paul. I want us to, if, if you will, pull up a chair next to the Apostle Paul and have him guide us through in his word what he prays for this church and what he is in turn praying for even us that the Lord would impress upon us. So we observe three parts in this prayer. The first part in verses 15 and 16 is a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, the second part is a prayer of intercession. 17 through 19. And the third part is praise. He praises God for who Jesus is and what he's done and what he has accomplished. 
So first, Paul thanks God for moving in the lives of the people of the church. Another way of saying this, maybe the churchy way of saying this, is Paul is giving thanks for evidences of grace in the people of God. Have you ever heard that word, evidences of grace? He's thanking God for moving in their midst. And as a result of God's moving and God doing things in the lives of his people, Those are called evidences of the grace of God popping up in the lives of God's people. Paul is praising God and thanking God for evidences of grace in his people. Look at verse 15. For this reason, he says, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul begins with a note of encouragement. As he reflects on all that he's heard, about the Ephesian church and the believers in that church, in light of all God has done to save these people and rescue them from sin, he says, God, I thank you. And he mentions two particular things in this text, for their faith in the Lord Jesus and the love they have toward all the saints. So Paul is thanking God personally and publicly thanking the people of God. He's saying, good job, church. He says, praise God. He's encouraging them. He's he's encouraging them to keep striving. Paul does this in many, many, many other places in the New Testament. This is very standard when he encounters a healthy church that he would come, or not even a healthy church. He does this when he encounters believers who are just doing what they should be doing, having faith in Jesus and loving each other. He does it in Colossians 1.4. These aren't going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read them to you. He says, since we've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love you had for all the saints. It's almost the same statement. He says, I'm, I'm thanking God because I've heard of your faith and the love you have for one another toward the saints. That's the other believers in the church. First Thessalonians, he says, remembering before God our Father the work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon, he writes this, chapter Philemon 3, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what made Paul happy, what made the Apostle Paul just swell with enthusiasm is when he looked at these churches and they had great faith in Jesus and that they were loving each other well. When he heard of this, he was thrilled. And so what, when you think about it, he's thanking God for essential qualities of being a Christian. This is a great summary of what the Christian life is. A Christian is one who has faith in the Lord Jesus, not in ourselves, not in all the other things we like to put faith in, in our pocketbooks, in our abilities, in our our ways. Faith in the Lord Jesus above all and love toward one another. That's the church. A body of believers, a group of people that have placed all their chips. They've gone all in on Jesus. Our faith rests solely on him. And as a result of this faith that we say, it's all about you, Jesus, it bubbles up within us this great love for each other. They go hand in hand. It's a great summary of the church. Jesus says it this way. They will know you are my disciples on how you love one another. So one of the marks of God's people is that we love each other. 
that we love each other. Now, this is a huge challenge to some of us, to many of us, because I think a lot of us, uh, we have this idea uh, that didn't come from the scriptures that Christianity is an individualistic faith. Now, yes, do you need to make personal decisions to follow Christ and to live for him? You need to make a decision to say, my trust is in him, and daily decisions to live out, uh, to be sanctified by him? Yes, of course. I'm not saying that those aren't true and don't exist. But Christianity, there's there's a community dimension to Christianity. You're saved into a people. God saves for himself a people that are under his new kingdom, his new rule. And we say, his way is better than my way. And we collectively, with each other, live that out. And so here's a real simple application for us. We're, we're a church, we're a four-year-old church plant. We're a, new, we're a new church in town, if you will, right? And here's what a real simple application for us is that church, when you look to your right and left, I want us to know one another. It's important. I want us to be invested into each other's lives. I want us to love one another, care deeply for one another. When one person hurts, we all hurt, and we want to rally around each other. That's the love for the saints. That's us. Now, it's not saying we're saintly because we've done something. It's our faith in the Lord Jesus has been granted to us, and now because of that, we're called saints in the kingdom of God. Not because of our goodness, but because of what Jesus has bestowed upon us as his children. We can now be called saints, and so we're now to love one another. So a very simple application is that the people in this room, if you call this home, and I hope you will if you're trying to discover where this happens, I hope you feel this in our church, that we would invite each other to sit on our couches, that people in this room would open up your refrigerator and know what's in there. They would understand and know your children's names and what is going on in your life, and they'd rally around you and love you and support you. That's the church. It's not just sitting in a chair on Sunday morning and going home. It's so much more. It's so much more. The church is a body of Christ knit together by people under the banner of the Lord Jesus. And it's really, really strange in our community, uh, not not just in our community, but in a lot of communities all over the place, that that, that oftentimes we just want this individualistic needs-based Christianity. And maybe we survey the buffet of programs that are out there, and we pick and choose which ones we want, and we shut the door on the rest. That's not how Paul envisioned it. Or maybe on the very flip side, maybe you're not sampling the buffet that's out there. You're just like, I don't want to go at all. I want to just get what I want to get, and I just want to go home, and I want to talk to anyone. That's not, that doesn't exist in the New Testament either. That's foreign to Paul. That's foreign to the New Testament. Let me encourage you, church. Let me encourage us. Let's practically demonstrate love toward one another. Let's get to know each other. I think we do this really well here for the most part. But I think we've got room to grow. I do. I think it's easy in this community to kind of hide and kind of do the, how's life? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Okay, see you next week. Okay, I'm glad you're fine. I'm glad you're fine too. Bye. What are you up to? I'm really busy. What are you? I'm really busy too. How's work? Great. Busy. Okay. I'm busy too. See you next week. Bye. (laughs) Have a nice life. See you in eternity. We'll have a lot of time to catch up. (laughs) It's like, that's just not really worth it. You know, it's like, why even be a part of that? 
I don't want to be a part of that. It's like we need to, there, there's, let's take the next step toward loving each other. It's a big deal to Paul. And it's really hard. It's, it's, that's, it's a lot harder. It's, it's easy to say up here. It's harder to do. I understand that. People are complicated and messy, including me. But it's worth it. That's where the real ministry happens. Um, and if you find yourself here this morning kind of depleted, if you find yourself maybe lonely, uh, I want to encourage you to, this, this may sound backwards, but I found that when you begin to serve and give and pour out in a local church, that is actually just life-giving. I found that many of us in response to loneliness, in response to uh, feeling depleted, we take a giant step back and it compounds that feeling. It doesn't actually give us rest. I wanna encourage you to uh, press into the local body. And I think when, we, when you do that, you find that it actually fills you up because Jesus is in the midst of that. Um, and you begin to serve others and begin to love others, and it actually produces something in you that only God can do. And it fills you up where you were once lonely. And it's just kind of the way the kingdom of God, I think, often works. And this is also very important on how we interact with each other. Paul sees this, and he, and he just leans into this all over the New Testament because it's perhaps the most powerful Here's an old churchy word, witnessing tool we have for the gospel. Is that word still used anymore, witnessing, evangelism? I think the new word is missional, right? Where we articulate and we display and demonstrate the qualities of a Christian to those that don't know him. We have opportunities to share the hope we have in Jesus, witnessing, being a witness to the good news of Jesus. Francis Schaeffer says it this way, it is the final apologetic. Christian community lived out how we love one another is the final apologetic. Now, apologetic is just the big junk drawer seminary word for us proving or showing who God is to a skeptical world. That's apologetics. Defending our faith. Francis Schaeffer, great theologian, philosopher, says the final apologetic, after all the words, after all, yes, all those are very important. You got to know the hows, you got to know the whys, you got to know all the things that Paul said before the foundation of the world. He saved you, he's called you, he's adopted you, you're a son and daughter of God. The final apologetic for the gospel that says, do you really believe this is how do you love one another? That's the nuclear bomb of apologetics. It's hard to argue that one. When you see people really loving, serving, and caring for one another, the outside world looks in and says, what is going on there? i got to investigate that. And now we have opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is rejoicing at the love being formed in this church. Um, some application here for a moment. Um, let me free you up here in case you don't feel free to do this here at this church. And if you don't, I apologize. I'll take responsibility for that. Uh, let me clear the air. Um, if you don't feel free to introduce yourself to someone you don't know, you should. Please do that. Um, if you don't, if maybe if you've noticed someone, they've been coming for 
maybe a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, or maybe you've been coming for two years. You're like, I have no idea who that guy is over there. I think there's an assumption because we're at a kind of a smaller church that everyone knows each other. That's just not the case at all. Many of you will probably look around and be like, I kind of know him. I've never talked to them, and I've never talked to them. I want to give us all the freedom to introduce yourself so you get to know one another. We should be doing that. Invest in meaningful relationships. Know their names. If you forgot their names, ask them again. I never struggle with that. Josh does all the time, though. I mean, I, of course, would never forget a name, right? So, but just reintroduce yourself. Let's just give each other the freedom to do that, all right? I've never met a group of people. I've never met anyone who has felt too welcomed. I've never felt anyone who has felt too included. I've never ran into someone that just felt, you know what? People were just too gracious and kind and inclusive, and I just can't have that. I want a cold, unwelcoming place that I can go. Well, some people may like that, but you shouldn't, right? I've never met someone that, though their heart doesn't just long for that. That's what the church is. That's what we should be as God's people together. If you see someone, get to know them. Our souls are meant for meaningful relationship. Take someone out to coffee. Um, invite someone to your community group. Invite someone over for dinner. They're not perfect because we're not perfect. And I think people get that, and that's a freeing thing at the end of the day. Also note that Paul says that he is constantly praying with thanksgiving. Now, when Paul refers to his prayers, I'm constantly giving thanks for you in, his, in my prayers. Uh, some theologians believe that Paul is still sort of modeling the old Jewish way of praying, morning prayers, afternoon prayers, evening prayers. So in Paul's, he has a regular rhythm of prayer that he communes with God in his life. It's just something, a part of what he does. But he also says, I'm continually giving thanks for you. So he has regularly slotted times of prayer that he devotes himself to speaking with the Lord and giving thanks to the Lord. But he also has organic times that just throughout the day, I'm constantly thinking about the Lord and praying. So Paul's, that's Paul's method of prayer. Kind of, I've got the time set that I know that if I don't set it, I'm, it's not going to happen. So he is faithful to it. And then continually, he's reminding himself to be connected to the Lord. So let's, let's be in prayer in that way. Let me encourage some things to pray for in case you, maybe you just don't know what to pray for. I want to encourage you in this church, in light of, and also in light of praying the scriptures, pray for these few things if you would. Maybe write them down. I think the Lord would honor this, and I think the Lord would be pleased with these prayers. Pray for saving faith, that those that don't know him would be brought near to him and could be invited into the fairy family of God. Pray that God might save. Pray for confession and repentance. That's a prayer that, man, let's have, God help us go beyond, I'm fine, how are you? I'll see you next week and until eternity's past. It's... Now, what's really going on? Pray for confession and repentance to move beyond how's the weather. Pray for healing, spiritual healing for people, physical healing for people. We have hurting people here even in this church that need healing. Also, pray for missionaries serving in hard places to advance the gospel, that they have said yes to uh, letting go of the comforts of home here and many other places and are going to very hard places with not very much to say Jesus is better. Pray for them and their families. 
You may, not know, you may know some by name. Pray for them by name. If you don't, pray for those that are in those places because they are there right now serving. Now, verses 15 and 16, Paul is thankful. He's thankful. Now, as an application, I want to express my gratitude to all of you as a church. This is an awesome church. This is a joy to serve and be a pastor at this church. We have wonderful people at this church who have encouraged me and have breathed life into me. And uh, I've been in full-time ministry for 15 years. This is my favorite church. I love you all. We're not perfect by any means, but God is moving. God is doing things in the lives of our people. And it is a joy to get to serve and do ministry alongside of all of you. I love, I love looking out and seeing God's people here in this church loving each other because it's happening. I love looking out of this church and seeing people serving one another because that's happening. I love looking out in this church and seeing others step up into leadership and saying, I want to help lead the people of God so that they might see and savor Jesus more. I, that just fills my heart with joy and gratitude. So church, I'm, I'm thankful for you. And I need to model that because it's, it's, it's easy to just, it's easy to get critical, right? I think we live in a culture that it's just easy to go critical all the time. And so this was a great reminder to me to say, Sean, look up and look at who God has given to you, that you get to call yourself a member of this church and how, what, what a blessing that is. So church, I love you. Thank you for, for being in this with us. It really is a joy. Church, I, I, think, I think this is hugely important for us. My wife and I were talking about this, my wife Ash and I, just the other day, that we too often hold back. We're just oftentimes are not as encouraging as I think we could be to each other. For some reason, there's something in us that we just want to hold back those things. And I don't know why that is. I think we're all wired up like that to some degree, some of us more so than others. But when you recognize the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the things of God in the lives of the people that God has placed in your life, tell them that because it fans the flame of faith in them. I've never met a person too encouraged in the gospel. I just have never met that person. I want to be a place and I want to be a people and a church that just is a culture of grace toward each other. That's a place I want to be a part of. It's easy to go uh, and have uh, and take off the glasses of grace and put on the glasses of self-righteousness and self-centeredness and compare and contrast and be critical. That's, that's, we kind of can easily go there as a culture. Church, are you grateful for those here that are sitting next to you? Have you told them that? It goes a long way, let me tell you. It goes a long way. Um, I have every note that any of you have ever written to me that's been encouraging. And I put it in a folder in my office. And when hard days come, I pull it out and I look at them. And, I'm like, and they just swell my heart with gratitude. Words are very, very meaningful and important, church. Um, and I'm not talking about just puffing each other up just for the sake of doing that. This is not what Paul's talking about here. This is not empty flattery. This is praising God for the grace in others. That's a big deal. It's an act of worship. He's worshiping here. He's praising here. He's praying here. Second thing we see here, and we're almost done. 
Paul asked for divine illumination, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So we get into Paul's petitions here. He's praying for illumination. He's praying for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and of understanding. He says that the eyes of your heart would be opened, would be enlightened. He says your heart has eyes. Your heart has eyes. He's asking God to give them spiritual eyes to see who he is and what he's done for them. And so the word spirit, I take it to mean the Holy Spirit. It makes sense given that he's the spirit of truth. And so illumination is the simple idea that God opens our eyes so that we can know his truth. We can understand his truth that he's given to us in his inspired word. So inspiration, some quick definitions here. That's, that's illumination, that our heart would be opened to the inspiration of the very word of God, that, we, that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes so that we can understand the revealed truth illuminated in the scriptures, right? The inspired word of God. Those are some church words that you may have hear, heard. This is what Paul is talking to, talking about. It's the nature of Scripture. Illumination is how we understand the Scripture, and that's done by the Holy Spirit. So it's absolutely necessary that we seek the Spirit of God's help in us understanding His truth. Otherwise, we just can't do it on our own power. We need the Spirit of God to give us understanding. Paul's praying this for this church. Thomas Manton was a Puritan pastor. I love the old Puritans. He said it this way, which I find very helpful. God's mind is revealed in Scripture, but we can see nothing without the spectacles of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Gosh, I wish I could talk like that. It's beautiful. Spurgeon said it this way. This is funny. (laughs) He said, apart from the Spirit, it's easier to teach a tiger vegetarianism than it is an unregenerate person, the gospel of Jesus. That's funny, right? Come on, guys. Guess not. I'll blog about that one later. My Spurgeon friends will like that one. Such a tiger to be a vegetarian. Can I get it, right? We need the Holy Spirit's help is the idea here, right? It's like impossible without the Spirit of God. So apart from the Holy Spirit turning the lights on, we're helpless without him. That's the language that's used here all over the Bible. We see it. Even in Acts, 8, Acts chapter 16, we went through Acts just a few months ago. There's a woman named Lydia. She's a successful entrepreneur, businesswoman. She was a seller of purple fabrics, the scripture tells us. And the Bible tells us as Paul was expounding on the scriptures that the Lord had to open up her heart to understand the teaching. The Spirit of God had to give her eyes to see what was true. That's what we pray for. That's what we pray for, for unbelieving friends, for unbelieving family. That the Lord may open their hearts so that they might believe. Do what only God can do. We pray for the movement of God because we know it's up to him. God's got to do the work. We can't do it. We're faithful to proclaim the good news of the message and to love and serve one another. But God's got to do the work of opening the eyes of our hearts. Only he can do that. And I think one of the reasons that we don't ask for illumination like the Apostle Paul does here um, is I think that oftentimes we have a very high view of ourselves and a very low view of God. I think we have a very low view of 
what the, the, the theological term would be called human depravity. People operate with this kind of view that, you know, what everyone's just, we're just kind of good, we're good deep down. Like really deep down in, we're just good people. We don't mean any, yeah, we hurt people, we upset people, we do the wrong thing, but we don't mean to do anything. Deep down, we're just good. We have a very high view of ourselves and a low view of God. And if we believe just deep down that, you know, we're just really good, deep down, we're just good people, then it totally diminishes and just eliminates our need for a savior. If we're just good people and we're going to get there eventually, what's the point of Jesus? He's not necessary. There's a, I was, a friend of mine uh, was listening to some top 10 country radio and he texted me. He goes, man, have you heard this song? It's like the antithesis of the gospel, right? And I was like, oh, really? Let me check it out. He's like, it's, it's this hugely popular song. He didn't use that as that exact terminology, but he's like, check this out. And you would know the song if I told you the artist's name, but I don't, I don't necessarily want you to go listen to it because I'll probably get a couple emails about this. Some of you probably really love this song. It's very catchy. It's top 10. It's like super singable. But the chorus goes something like this. Um, you know, I sang it this morning in our, little, in our meeting. Uh, I, what's the hook? I believe most people are good. You got to have a little Texas. Because I believe them streets of gold are worth the work, Right? And I still want to go. I lost it. I lost it. Man, I was so close. Brett, if Austin Stone has any recording contracts up, I'd like a call. I think I've got a, I've got a future. Um, I believe most people are good. I believe the streets of gold are worth the work. That's really nice to sing, but it just doesn't line up at all with what the Bible teaches. That just said, I believe deep down, uh, we don't really have a need for a Savior because we're all going to get there anyway. And if we just work hard enough and we pull, roll up our sleeves and we shovel enough dirt, we'll eventually get to heaven and we'll tip the scales and we'll get there. The streets of gold will be good because of all the work I've done. It just negates the work of Jesus in the cross. And that song, I looked it up last night. It's been on the radio for about seven or eight months. And there's not even a music video yet. I don't know if they do those anymore. But on YouTube, you type in that song, the lyric video has 17 million views. Filled with tens of thousands of comments about people just saying, this is amazing. What a great message. We need more of this. We need more of Jesus. We need his help. The Bible teaches that our hearts are wayward without him. You follow the ways of our heart, they're just going to go down the wrong way. Our striving will never earn us heaven. Jesus did the work that we could have never done. He lived a life that we could have never lived. He died the death that we deserved. He took the cross. He conquered death, defeated Satan. And by believing and giving us the gift of faith, he grants to us eternal life. And this is what Paul's talking about. He says, our work will never get there, but thanks be to God that he's done it. And he gives us love and he gives us hope. He's praying that the eyes of our heart would be illuminated to that reality. Paul does not have a low view of God. 
He has a very high view of God. In fact, he says, the father of glory is able to do this. The father of glory. Paul often tied glory and power together. God is all-powerful. He is perfectly capable of giving us all that we need in Christ. Yes, he's intimate. Yes, he's near. Yes, we can call him dad. We can cry out, Abba, Father. He calls us sons and daughters. But he is also glorious and in majesty and transcendent and in power. Second Corinthians, Paul prays the same prayer of illumination. He says it this way. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. He shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So we need the eyes of our hearts opened. Why? We need to know God better. That's one of the reasons he said. Jesus said it this way. This is eternal life that you may know God and Jesus, the only one he sent, the one that God has sent. And he uses, and he goes on to tell us why in these three phrases, then we'll be done. He says, Why do we need our eyes open? So that we would know what is the hope of which he's called you in verse 18. He uses this word, what? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And listen to this last one. This is incredible. Let this just blow your mind. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Right now, today. So we don't just have a hope that is uh, from eternity's past, like he prayed for. That is a reality. That we were chosen before the very foundation of the world. That we're adopted. That we are called. That it can never be taken from us because we didn't earn it. God did it. And so he will keep it in heaven forever. We don't just have an inheritance that will be ours one day in glory. And we will get to be with him. And he, it will be perfect. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more suffering. No more pain. This wonderful inheritance. The glorious realities of being with God forever. But right Right now, we have a living hope, a living hope that the immeasurable greatness of God is toward us, is moving toward you, is going into you, is moving on to you because of his power toward those who believe. We have a living hope right now to to hold on to, to trust We have this hope and the power of the risen Christ to do battle against worry in this day that we find ourselves in. To do battle against temptation, doubt, depression, anxiety, loneliness, addiction, sexual sin. Whatever it is that you find yourself mired in, we have a living hope now we can cling to. Not just the fact that we were adopted as children and we will one day be with him, but his power is toward us and on us right now in Jesus. Romans 8 says this, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's good news. Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the realities of who we are as children, as sons and daughters, that though we didn't earn it, though we didn't deserve it, Lord, the immeasurable greatness of your power is toward each of us in this room today if we believe. 
And so, God, I just pray now, I pray for maybe there's someone in here that doesn't believe. God, I just pray that by your spirit, you would do what only you can do. And, Lord, you might even this day open the eyes of their heart. And that they would run to your immeasurable power and goodness and graciousness, God. And they would feel the immense flood of the love of Christ being poured out onto them right now. Lord, would you do a saving work even in this room? God, I pray uh, now for those who do believe. Help us to grasp all that you've done. Help us to grasp the realities that we find ourselves in. Help us to trust you. Help us to pray like you want us to. Help us to realize what we're wrapped up into. Help us to know that we have a living hope right now. That we don't do battle with the things in the everyday on our own, God. But you're with us. You're for us. You're next to us. Your power is being poured out on us and it's moving in and through us. God, we want to do, we, we need you to do the work that we can't. So Lord, I pray for each of us that we would trust you in the places that we simply have a hard time trusting you in. Do a great work. Church will stand.